Mm. Isn't his presence so sweet? So sweet and so demanding all at once. Does that make sense? Sometimes there's just not words appropriate. I I do, before I get started on a teaching, I, I, I want to make sure that we do a good job at informing you of all that is happening with unedited life as a whole. Um, there's a lot going on. I feel like we're a wheel within a wheel right now, that there there is just multiple facets that are happening all at once. For those of you that don't know, we had our first Topeka service this last Wednesday. Yes. 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 Jesus is on the move. And I'm afraid he's not offering solutions up front. He's just saying to go. He's not even offering plans up front. He's just like, could you just go? We went, I tried. I tried Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to put something together because that would be appropriate. Right? But it wasn't what was on his mind. An agenda is not on his mind. He just wants us to gather together and lift his name high. And so that's exactly what we did. I think there were seven of us. Is that correct? Seven or eight? Uh, Yes. Well, it's just kind of mind-blowing, I think. (laughs) It almost feels surreal. Like, okay, we're doing this. So we all gathered together in Pepper and Jonathan's living room. Thank you, you guys. Your hospitality is unbeatable, but I won't be drinking the coffee anymore because my mind ran all night. <laughs> I know better, but um, we, we just, Pepper had some, some worship that she played. And so we worshiped together and, and then, you know, we just followed the spirit. That's exactly what we do is follow the spirit as the night went on. And there was such a a presence that came into this room to where you actually felt like you were holding substance of heaven in your hands. And, and to attempt to ascribe worth in this kind of presence feels almost foolish because words just can't do it justice. So anyway, I still don't have words I just know to tell you that it was beautiful, and that doesn't quite do it. But God is wanting to establish a work in Topeka, Kansas, and I believe that it is to affect this nation as a whole. Now, that's not me making much of us. That's me making much of Jesus. He's looking for anyone right now who will do the simplistic thing of lifting His name, high. I say simplistic because it is. However, I'm not saying that it's easy. Because like Robin was saying in the middle of worship here this morning, guys, I know you're tired. Because we trained ourselves to be tired in the middle of worship. That's what the truth is. It's not easy to continue to push when you're in his presence, because really you just want to be a bystander and soak it all in, right? 
And there is a time for soaking, but it is not in a corporate setting. In a corporate setting, we're advancing the kingdom. Say, I'm advancing the kingdom. Yes. So when you show up here, your job is not to soak it all in. Robin and the team is not up here doing all the work. We're doing it together. We're pushing past the resistance to establish something because that's what praise does. So anyway, I just wanted to give you an update on what's going on in Topeka. We'll be going there on Wednesdays um, at six o'clock, really. Anybody's welcome to, to, to join us. It's not a, an exclusive thing, but we are hoping to, to grow a, a community of people that are like-hearted and just want to see Jesus shine. You know, that's what he's after. He just wants to be the main thing. And he's looking for people who will make him the main thing. Ha. Didn't even know I did that. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. So today's teaching is called Kingmaker. And when, when this whole series was put together, I thought I knew exactly what it was that Jesus wanted to do surrounding Kingmaker because I know the stories of the prophets well. And I know that's what they do. The prophets anoint kings. It's what they do. And I've even had my own experience with this. Most of you probably know the story, but I'm going to tell it again because it's just a fun story that makes Jesus big. So there was this particular week, and Mike had to um, endure me for this week, um, that God had asked me to make an announcement. I was teaching, and this was at our last church. I was, I was going to be teaching that Sunday, and, and it was Baptism Sunday, and, and it was a big deal. It was a big stinking deal that, you know, it's Baptism Sunday and, um, and, and that, that I was teaching, and, um, but Jesus wanted to up the ante because that's what he does, and he's like, Angie, I want you to make an announcement about Josh, who is our lead pastor, being an apostle. And I knew this was true of him, and I thought that everybody knew that this was true of him, but sometimes it takes an announcement from a prophet to open the ears of the people. You know what I'm saying? And so I fought this for days. I'm like, no, you got the wrong girl. Like, this is not something you really want me to do because I'll probably make a mess of it. And he didn't want me to talk to him first. And I, little Miss Submissive, wanted permission first. So I went to the next best thing, Mike. <laughs> and I show up at one of their rental properties and they're busy working. I said, Mike, I need to talk to you. <laughs> I can still feel your heart beating. <laughs> and so I lay the whole thing before him and he's basically like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, am I painting the picture right? <laughs> And so I was, that was not the, that was just not, I needed someone to actually tell me, no, this is wrong. <laughs> like, no, don't go kind of thing. And that wasn't what Mike was doing. And so then I was still so unsettled 
and, and what it was, because not only was God wanting me to make this announcement, but he was also wanting me to invite the people to stay for the summer. Stay. Don't leave Manhattan. Stay here. Build with us, right? Because that's what apostles do. They build. And so I, I played the Felisa game. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> Lisa loves the story of Gideon, and she always uses fleece. So I, that's what I did. I was like, okay, here's the deal, God. Like, if this is really, really what you want, then we need to make some kind of a deal here. We need to, we need to bargain. And because um, I need to know that I know that I know that this is you. This felt so high stakes for me. And, and I'm the one walking around telling people, this is not high stakes. For me, this felt like high stakes. I didn't want to get it wrong. I didn't want to make a mess. And, um, and so this is what God tells me. And I kid you not, this is Saturday night. And, you know, th- this is like, I'm even like conjuring up sicknesses. Like, oh God, I just, I think I'm sick. Like, I just, I can't show up. And he's like, knock it off. So, um, and so he's like, okay, here's the deal. If this is the end of March, if not April, it may have been April. It was, it was pushing it. And he says, okay, Angie, here's the deal. If it snows tomorrow morning, will you do it? It wasn't even my fleece. It was his. And I'm like, yeah, you got a deal, right? Right hand. You got a deal. <laughs> because there is no snow in the forecast. <laughs> because I checked. <laughs> Before me making the agreement, I made sure that there was no forecast for snow. And to prove that there was no forecast for snow, all of these people, like 20-some people that were getting baptized this morning, show up in, like, swimsuits or shorts and T-shirts, and that's it. We get to church that morning. We have already been there for probably 20 minutes. We were the ones that showed up really early. And we're in a storefront, so it's nothing but glass. We're downtown Manhattan, nothing but glass. I come out of the sanctuary to big Colorado-sized snowflakes falling at about 45 minutes before showtime. (laughs) And I was like, you have got to be kidding me, because at this point, I convinced myself, ha, I don't have to do it. (laughs) But there they were. There they were, those snowflakes. And I knew I had no choice. This was a moment for me where I had to stop denying who it was that he called me to be. This wasn't even fully about Josh. It was, it was so much more about me. And are you willing to be obedient in everything that I ask you to do, even when it makes you feel uncomfortable? And so I did. I made it through my entire teaching, which was probably scandalous in and of itself, Jesus, the sin collector, if that tells you anything, (gasps) that he himself was baptized into the people's sin and came up out of the water carrying it. And so this was rough. Like the people were like, who does she think she is? Listen, there were letters written afterwards, emails, phone calls, like she's a heretic. (laughs) No, seriously, this is real. (laughs) And so so then I, I finish up this teaching and my heart is literally going to pound out of my chest. I was sure of it. And I'm still like, 
am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, am I going to do this? The people are lined up for the baptism. And the whole thing is like ready to go. And it's like, am I actually going to follow through? He made it snow and it wasn't supposed to. So I did it. It's like, Josh, will you, will you come up here for a second? And he's, he's wearing the shorts and the t-shirt because he's the baptizer guy. And he's like, what's going on? You know, he's so thrown off. So anyway, I did the whole thing. And then I'm still scared out of my mind because then there still has to be the conversation of what did you just do? So everything ends and, and I, I'm down and I'm, I'm walking out and I'm thinking, I think I can make it out before being found. And because <laughs> I'm still like trembling and he catches me at the first pole in the middle of the aisle and he's like, so, um, he's got his hand on it and I'm like, shoot. <laughs> he's like, what was that? So I told him the whole story and he goes, oh my gosh, are you a prophet? <laughs> so anyway, I was like, <laughs> and he's like, because you know, like, like prophets are the ones that, you know, anoint kings. And I feel like that's what just took place. And, and I was like, yeah, 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 that's, that's what's true. And so anyway, I wanted to tell you that story because that's where I thought today was going to go. However, God wants us to understand something that pertains to being kings. We know that his, his name is King of Kings, right? He's King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. But this looks like something. His kingship looks like something. And this is what we've been talking about, right? Like, God, what does your house look like? How can I carry your kingdom if I don't even know what your house looks like? Right? So being a king looks like something. It's not just something that we get under and call ourselves this. It looks like something. To be royal it looks like something. And I think that we have gotten very frivolous with, with verbiage in the church. We just have. And I'm not saying that, that, it was, that it was bad or wrong, but I think really more is what's happened is God is raising a standard now in the middle of all of this that's kind of like, whoa, and we're all a little discombobulated and don't know which side is up. Because he's, he's like, he's like, no, okay, like that was fine for then, but now I'm establishing a, a new plumb line of righteousness and I need someone to carry it. So we know, because I've told you, that God has been referring to, to unedited life as a house of myrrh. And, and when he first said this to me, I was like, God, you know I don't understand this. He knows, right? He says things that we don't understand to expand us. Not because he's trying to, like, crush us. Not because he's trying to make less of us. Not because he's like, see, you just don't know much. 
No, it's to expand us. So when he comes close and he says, you're a house of myrrh, and this is a place where people are going to come to die. I was joking about it. And I was like, yeah, Jesus, like it's October. And you want me to talk about this is a place where people come to die? I mean, we're a week out from Halloween and you want me to, I felt like Morticia. (laughs) You know, I'm like this, is this real? Like you want me to, you want me to talk about this? Listen, in October, I like to talk about the things that are creepy about God that outdo the creepy things of the world. That's what I like to talk about. God wants to talk about death. He wants to talk about dying to live. So to be a house of myrrh, that you remember, do you remember when the kings, they came and they're searching out Jesus? They followed a single star? Talk about crazy. These men are following a single star to see if the story that had been handed down from generation to generation was really true, that a king would be born. And they bring the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh is a fragrant resin that they would use for burial. So we know that these kings brought the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but we also know that frankincense and myrrh was used when Jesus was pulled down off the cross and wrapped up in grave clothes. They used the myrrh. And that's what he's calling us, a house of myrrh. And so I began to understand. Do you know how that happens? You know you know what I'm talking about? How one second you're dumb and the next you're like, I think I get it. No, that's really how it happens. It is. One second we don't know anything, and then we're like, revelation. And do you know, the Bible tells us that the Lamb of God was slain at the foundation of the earth. I've banked on this. I've loved this for so long that the Lamb of God was slain at the foundation of the earth. Now, some of the things that I want to share with you, please, please, please be responsible and take it before Jesus and say, how do I apply this to my life? Show me how this is truth in my life. So this is what God was showing me, is that God and Jesus, they partner together, right? And, and Holy Spirit, and they speak everything into creation. And this is so fun. And then we know that the people, they messed it up, right? They, they fell and they gave away all dominion, right? We know all this. And then, and then God's like, I, I got to remove you guys. And we've mostly seen that as punishment, but it's not. Yeah, okay. Because God had a lamb in his back pocket that was slain at the foundation of the earth. Okay, here's what I believe God was showing me is that the lamb that was slain at the foundation of the earth, he is still deity, which is beautiful in and of itself. Right? But then he comes and he strips himself of his origin, of his very origin. He's God, not man. He's God, not 
man. But for you and I, for the sake of humanity, he allows himself to be clothed in flesh. Not only that, but I also believe that he allows, because we know he's placed into the womb of a teenage virgin, right? This is what I believe happened, is that through the partnership of God's voice with his prophets throughout the ages, seed was formed to be able to plant in the womb of Mary to bring about a Messiah. We know that there's life and death in the power of our words. So when the prophets would speak about the the, the coming of a Messiah, they're giving life. They're creating seed to be planted in a lowly, Jewish girl, an unsuspecting Jewish girl, 16 probably, right? I mean, I know, Serenity. I was 16 once. You're not even. I know how old you are. I do. It's true. I know how old you are. So it... Okay, so the same is true for us. We go through these, we, we know that we were once lost and then we're found in Christ, right? And we go through these, these different layers of becoming new creation, right? Like moving further into our new creation. And there is a scene in Song of Songs, we're going to Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, if that's what it says in your Bible. And and because I read the Passion Translation so much, I often don't know where Song of Songs is. It's out of order there. Okay. If you're a little lost in the sauce, I broke all of this down on Friday. Go listen to the podcast because I laid the groundwork on Friday so that we could have better understanding of what it is that we're doing here. Um, We're going to start in chapter 5, verse 2, and I'm just going to read a little bit of this. I sleep, but my heart is awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love. My dove, my perfect one. Don't you love this? He's not dealing with someone who doesn't know. Listen again. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove. Do you even know what dove means? Doves mate for life. They stay together for life. To have dove's eyes means you do not separate. You don't part. He's calling her my dove. She's already in. She's already in. And she knows it. My dove, my perfect one, calls her perfect. So do you know what we're, does everybody understand who we're talking about here? You and I. We know. We are those who know. Say, I know. Okay, say it again, but with some conviction. I know. Right, because we know. We know whose we are. 
so did she. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the drops of night. Now when Jesus is coming and he's knocking on her door and he's adoring her in her perfection, his head is dripping with the dew of night. What's he talking about? He's talking about the garden of Gethsemane when he is literally dripping with death. He is dripping with myrrh. His head is dripping with myrrh, that fragrant offering. His head is dripping, and he comes to her, and he wants to bring her in to his dark night. Verse 3, she says, I've put off my garment. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? She's, she's laying in bed. She's in bed, and he's knocking, and she's like, I already took my humanity off. I've already been cleansed. She's agreeing with him. I am the dove. I am the perfect one. She's agreeing. I've already taken all of that off. So what, what I want us to understand is this is a deeper invitation. She's already clothed in new creation. Anybody else? Yeah. We're already clothed in our new creation. Verse 4, my beloved put his hand into the opening of the door, and my inner parts yearned for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. Wow. Her hands are dripping. The response... Just the natural response of her responding to him, to the invitation to enter into his suffering, causes her hands to drip with myrrh. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh upon the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved. But my beloved had withdrawn. He was gone. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, and he answered not. He was inviting her in deeper still. And here's the deal. You and I, we can stop where we're at, and we're going to be fine. This is not a salvation issue. This isn't even a sanctification issue. You're in. Okay? So don't misunderstand me. This is an invitation to go deeper still. She already is seated in him. You and I are already seated in him. The invitation is to now become acquainted with him as the son of suffering or the man of many sorrows. Listen, in Isaiah 53, it says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We 
when we read these things, I think we forget who we're talking about. We forget that he's the one whose words created the very ground you're standing on. It is his words that even give you breath in your lungs to be able to exist. That's who that's talking about. The very words that are holding you together right now, that are allowing you to hear my voice, is who was despised. He's the one. He's the one that we did not rightly regard as humanity. He came and took on all that was ours so that we could have all that is his. And he's just asking, will you go deeper still? Will you answer this invitation too? You can continue to stay at Beloved. That's fine. It's fine. Really, it is. But you will never fully understand your union if you do not hit every aspect of the invitation. You can't fully know oneness if you're not going to enter into the sorrow, into the myrrh. You just won't. And before you, before you dismiss this and be like, oh, what about the joy? What about the peace? Oh, the joy of being released from all that weighs us down as humans. Our standard is what the world has told us to live by. We comfort ourselves with possessions. And all Jesus is asking is, will you let me be the one to possess you? Will you allow yourselves to experience what it was like to be me? Can you see it? He's God. He strips himself of his deity. And now he's asking us, your new creation, but will you strip yourself to experience full measure oneness with me? See, I think that we need to paint an even broader picture here. Let's go over to Genesis. Okay? Who's with me? Who's got the Bibles? I don't hear Paige just slipping. <laughs> um, Genesis 15. This is a weird story. A very strange story. Okay, so we know that Abraham is the father of faith, right? And he's also the father of many nations. Was that the plan? No. He was to father the promise. But he got angsty when the promise wasn't coming about, so he fathered nations. I think so often that we father opposition while waiting for the promise. You know? We father opposition while waiting for the promise, and this is what Abraham did. However, God is so good. He's so good. And when we when we cherry pick stories and we're like, well, 
He missed it. And we don't bring it under the umbrella of the fullness of the gospel. We miss it. Right? Because God partnered with the father of many nations. Anyway, even though it was opposition to Israel, God partners with it. So now we're talking about a covenant is about to be made. I love this story. A covenant is about to be made, not just on behalf of Israel and Abraham, but the nations. Because he's the father. He is the seed over the nations, which includes us. Anybody in here, a direct descent of Israel? That's what I thought. See, it's good for us <laughs> that, he, that he was the father of the nations and that God was willing to step in and covenant with the father of the nations. However, the story doesn't line up quite like that. It's not quite like that, but let's just read. We are in Genesis 15, 8. And he said, oh, Lord Jehovah, how will I know that I will inherit it? They're talking about the land, right? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and he cut them in two in the middle and laid the half of each opposite the other, but the birds he did not cut in two. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep or trance fell upon Abram and behold a terror and great darkness fell upon him and he said to Abram know assuredly that your seed will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and they will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years but I will also judge that nation you gotta love God like, what's a nation's judgment on a nation? I'm God. <laughs> but I will also judge that, that nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions, Egypt, right? But as for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried in a good old age. And in the fourth generation, they will come here again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun went down and it was dark, there came a smoking furnace and a torch of fire, which passed between these pieces. On that day, Jehovah made a covenant with Abram saying to your seed, do I give this land from the river of the Egypt to the great river of the river Euphrates? Anyway, that's not what matters. It's not the land that I want to talk about because we know that he gave him all the land, right? What I want to talk about is who is the smoking pot or the smoking furnace and who is the torch? We believe this story goes down exactly the way that it says, but there's more to it. We have to investigate. We have to look deeper. Because the smoking pot is the father and the torch is the son. They weren't really making covenant with Abraham. They are making covenant with one another. Because only God can pull off what has been pulled off, not a man. 
So it's Jesus and the Father that are going through because that's, this is it weird, super weird. Like, let's gather some animals, cut them in half, and make covenant. I, I don't know. I didn't live in that age, so it makes zero sense to me. But it's what they did. This is how they covenanted together. But Abraham isn't the one who walked down the middle of these sacrifices. It's the father, it's the son, and the two of them covenanted. It's only by one that the promise came about. Every promise is held within the womb of a covenant. And we only have what we have because Jesus was willing to pay the price. And it would take God stripping himself and putting on flesh to pull this whole thing off, to bring the covenant to fruition. Do you remember the scene in Revelation 5? We know that John the Revelator is called up into the heavenlies. Come up here. There's things I must show you. It's very, very fun. You get to chapter 5 which is just beyond the description of the throne room, the holy chaos that is happening all around God. And John sees that there is a scroll with seven seals upon it. And he is so concerned that he falls on his face and he begins to weep. There's no one to open the scroll. There's no one. There's no one. And the angel says, they're there, buddy. Look. Look. It's him who made covenant. He is the one worthy. There's only one found worthy. There's only one found worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll because he is the only one who lived out the covenant. Abraham could not have done it. He couldn't have. It took God. It took Jesus coming down and entering into the greatest suffering that any man will ever know to fulfill, to complete the covenant that was made that day. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Do we have a right perspective of who he is? I mean, are are we holding him in higher esteem right now? I know that we can't fully grasp it. I'm not saying that. But are your sights set a little higher? Like, oh my gosh, he's worthy. He's so holy. He's so holy. Because of this fulfilled covenant, we can safely know 
that it's okay for us to enter into this aspect that he's inviting us into right now. It's not going to kill us. You're already dead. Right? It's no longer I who live. But Christ who's taken up residence as me. What an honor. What a privilege to have this kind of an invitation extended. To enter into the sufferings with the Lord. Wow. We think it was three years ago. <laughs> I've been messaging my kids. Hey, you know when this happened? Um, we think it was three, three years ago that um, our, our little miniature schnauzer, Whitney, had died. And it was, it was on Halloween night that I remember. And she had, she had been declining. And, um, and so I think we'd taken the kids out and, and then just had gotten back home from who knows what. And, um, and, and I went over to just kind of tell her goodnight. And, and she was the sweetest little girl. I mean, like she would get, she would try and stand up and just to, to because she loved me. And, and so I was, I was a little standoffish. I really was. And I was like, it's going to be okay, honey, but I'm going to bed kind of thing because I, I was uncomfortable with what was happening. And I started to walk away from her and Jesus very gently said, you need to go back. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to go back. And he's like, I need you to become more more comfortable with death than you are right now. And I was like, what? I mean, that, that's, that's a, a jolting thing to hear. I really, it was bedtime. And so it was like, I, I don't want to, I don't, I didn't, I didn't want to, but I, I knew that it was important. However, I didn't know why, but I was willing. And so I went over and I sat next to her. And again, she tried to raise up to, to, to greet me and, and to serve me, honestly. Um, and, and so I just sat there and I would just, I just pet her and, and I began to just sob because I knew in that moment that he was doing something. He was doing a deep work in me that I could not possibly understand. And we're talking probably less than 10 minutes, but it felt like hours that I was sitting there. And all of a sudden she stood up one last time and then kind of like crumbled. And I was like, oh, Whitney, it's okay. And, and I'm trying to comfort her best I knew. And then she, <gasps> and was just gone. And I was just weeping. And, and John caught me in the hallway as he, as he was off to bed. And he's like, what, are, are you okay? She's gone. And he's like, what? And, and so the moment was just then got busy, hurried, and, and, you know, like things happen when, but I'm so thankful for that moment. And I couldn't have possibly known what it was that he was calling me into. I couldn't have possibly known. It felt like an ordinary moment with the dog. And I've had enough animals in my life to know that they, they, they live and they die. And I'm not trying to be crass. It's just what's true. They, they live and they die. We enjoy them and then they're gone. But there was something seeded in me that night 
that I couldn't have possibly regarded rightly, but I can today. And what God is beginning to show me is that people don't actually know how to die. His people don't actually know how to die. That we're walking in a world that we've become so familiar with that we don't know how to die. So as morbid as it sounds, God is looking for a people who will coronate kings. But in order to do so, they have to be baptized through the suffering of giving up life, of dying to live. Those whose hands will drip with myrrh. For me, these last several years have been hellish. And I haven't talked about it much. I've probably hinted at it more than anything. In 2017 is when God first called me kingmaker. Again, not a word that I knew how to steward. The next name beyond kingmaker was pierced. See, God foretells what we're going to walk through if we listen. He gives clues along the way if we will pay attention. But I had no idea. I had no way of being able to weigh or count this cost. I didn't know that it was going to cost this much. What followed that summer was a walk around a cornfield. And I know all of you think I'm crazy and I have this weird infatuation with corn. And it's not that. I never regarded the corn before in my life until the summer of 2018. And then I became obsessed with the corn, as one does. That entire summer, I went out to this cornfield and I walked around it and God would ask me to preach to it. Talk about crazy. Totally crazy. And what's even crazier is I could hear the ache within the corn to know what I knew about Jesus. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. I know it sounds crazy. I watered that dirt road with my tears. I was so broken over the corn not knowing Jesus the way that I knew Jesus. I, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I learned a lot from the cornfields. See while you can, right? Because I was out in these cornfields while it was seeded. I watched the corn be raised up by the hand of God. And there came a time in the little corn's life when they grew their crowns. Did you know corn does that? Corn does that. It does. And they have crowns. 
you and I are going to a cornfield. Just decided. I hope that there's still corn. Um, but it's, it's so beautiful. I mean, when you're the one that has been preaching to the corn all summer long, and they start to sprout crowns, it is really something to behold. And then God started asking me questions like, hey, Angie, um, how many acres is this? This is where Angie proved how city she really is. I was, Megan, you would have made fun of me because no way of estimating. I mean, like I'm clueless. I don't know an acre from a mile. And, um, and so I was like, surely, you know, God, which is always the appropriate answer when you don't know. And, and I, I could have guesstimated, I think I said, I, I don't know, Lisa, you probably meant like 10 acres. I mean, it was ridiculous. And so he asked me, Angie, go do the research. I need you to know how many acres actually exist out there within everything that you could see. And it was hundreds, hundreds of acres that I could actually survey when I was out there. And so then he asks me, Angie, how many ears grow on a single stalk? I was like, you know, I don't know this answer either. So, you know, it was always like there was this homework assignment every time I went out there once the corn was up and it had its crowns. And, um, and, and it turns out that I don't even remember, honestly, it, a lot. You can grow several ears on one, one stalk. And then, of course, you know the next question. How many kernels grow on each ear? And so then I'm doing math that is beyond me and um, trying to figure out, like, what's the possibility here? Like, what are we talking about? How many individual kernels exist on this land that I was walking? And, and it was in the millions. Huh? Eight billion? Yeah, it was a lot. I'm trying not to embellish my story. But I have it all written down if you really need to know. Anyway, it was a ridiculous amount of corn. And then he asks, what happens when a single kernel falls into the earth and dies? So you get where he's going. Like It's exponential. And so... I couldn't have known what it was that he was calling me to do at that point either. I was excited. I'm giving you all of these details because it's important. It's important for you to understand who we are, what we're doing. Because the, the call is, is far greater than I think that we can even imagine or allow ourselves to imagine. Beyond that is where all, see, there, there's, there's the prophetic word, right? Or the, the prophetic revelation. And then your life begins to unfold the stories that God has already released. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like he gives the word first, and then your life begins to partner with it, who knows when, right? Like we, we don't know. We don't know when it's actually going to begin to unravel, but there is a cost. There's a cost 
on what it was that he was showing me. And I can tell you that it has literally cost everything. It's cost everything. And it's what he wanted. I tried to make the cost go away. In 2019, I believe it was, 2019, 2000, I don't remember, 2020 maybe, when we went on the retreat in Topeka, was that 2020? I, I think so. Yeah, because I think we were doing, we were doing all the crazy things during COVID when everything else was shut down. Anyway, um, <laughs> we weren't breaking any rules. Um, so at this retreat, um, we, it was a beautiful, a beautiful weekend that, that we had together. And um, Mike had, had prophesied over John, and, and he just said, this is what I hear God saying. And it was so, somewhat sheepish. <laughs> You're like, here it goes, like we do. And, and he's like, God says, rest or I'll make you rest. Again, how do you steward words like that? And John kept trucking along, trying to make things happen. But we were coming up against walls at every turn. We couldn't make anything happen. Couldn't make anything happen. Couldn't make anything happen. And I believe that it was God's plan that we lose our house. However... I did my best to fight that because I'm American. <laughs> and this is a black mark on the American soul. And this is how it all went down. It had gotten to the point where I didn't know. I didn't know, but I was begging, God, please, please help Help, help, help. And you know, when you're in a panic of help, help, help. I was outside, and I've alluded to this story several times, but here goes the real story. I was outside watering the flowers like I do in the summertime. And God starts talking to me about my reputation. He's like, would you give up your reputation for me? And I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know if I could. I didn't know if I would. I knew I should, because he knows. And I, I, it's ridiculous. Here we are on, on Jefferson, which is a super busy street, and I'm out there blubbering, pretending like I'm watering flowers still. And yes, yes, God, I, I'll give up whatever, whatever, whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like. I made covenant with him in that moment. Whatever it looks like. Whatever it looks like. And we had a worship night that night. And in my discomfort, I was very uncomfortable in what it was that he was asking of me. But I'm still laid out. And I'm still, like, just sobbing. And in the middle of that, 
probably within the hour of making the covenant with God that, yes, I'll give up my reputation. An opportunity arose to receive money that would get us out of a bind to keep our house. There was God, right? Right? That's our response in these moments. <gasps> Look at God. He's the provider and he's come through. And I took the money. And God saved the day. And we spent another 12 months in hell. Incapable of making things work. There was nothing we could do. Kept trying. Kept trying and trying and trying. And there certainly wasn't resting. Sorry, I outed you. Because we were trying. Because that's what we've been taught, right? We've been taught this is how you do it. This is how you do it. You don't work, you don't eat. We take scriptures and apply them in moments where God isn't. Because we are living in a day where he is stripping everything away from us because he will have a pure and spotless bride. And his pure and spotless bride certainly does not look like an American bride. So then John got into a wreck. Rest or I'll make you rest. And now we're doomed. Now we're doomed because money doesn't follow me. We're doomed. There's nothing we can do. He physically couldn't do anything. And this is, where, this is where it becomes very important that we understand what it means to give up our reputation. It means you can't defend yourself. It means you can't pull on the excuses to make it look better than it really is because it was ugly. Humiliating. Embarrassing. Because I'm an American. Two years ago, I was in a breakout room on Zoom with a bunch of prophets. It's a dangerous place to be. And one of them says to me, God is about to exchange your American heart with a global heart. Fun word, right? Be careful what you receive. I'm joking, but I'm serious. <laughs> he had been talking to me through the corn experience about the nations. And I knew be, even beyond that years, years ago, that that was something that God had, had spoken over me. And I had no way, again, how do you weigh such a thing? But we, we look at these things in seed form and we glamorize them. God's going to replace your American heart with a global one. Do you know what a heart transplant feels like? 
There's a lot of cutting, a lot of cutting involved in having a heart transplant. Everything that has to do with being an American is going to be stripped away. Why am I telling you all of this? One, because God said to. Do I want to? No. Valid point. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to share these kinds of stories. But here's what I know. Two letters to two different churches in Revelation, starting in chapter 2. There's a letter written to the church of Smyrna, which ironically means myrrh. And this church is, is undergoing problems. They are being stripped of everything. What an honor it is to be stripped of everything, to go light, to have nothing. This is where the joy comes, and I told you there was a space for joy in this. I promise you, there is a joy in being stripped of everything. And this church was stripped of everything except for the victor's crown. Because the victor's crown belongs to those who enter in through the sorrow of the sun. The reason I mentioned two churches is because I want to introduce, and we're going to talk about it a lot over the next year, because the, 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 the house of myrrh is important to God, because he will have a pure and spotless bride, and in order to do so, she has to be brought through the son of sorrows for oneness to occur, occur, for union to happen. And the other letter that's super important is the church, or the letter to the church of, of Laodicea, because that's the condition of our global church, especially our Western culture church. You have forgotten your first love. You're neither hot nor cold. And in the letter, he tells them what happens to those who are neither hot nor cold. They will be spit out. Spit out. Don't forsake your first love. The only way to really cherish this first love, love, is to endure that level of fire. God is looking for people who will put his signet ring on. He is. but it won't fit right if you won't enter in through the son of sorrows 
to have a stripping take place. To know what it feels like to be him fully. To be new creation yet stripped of it. You know, and I'm not trying to be weird. We're still new creation, but it's just like he was also God. You know? We will have a better understanding. We'll have more space in us, actually, to behold him when we don't have all the clutter of our American hearts. Now, I'm not saying that that that's for you. You have to do the work. You have to go before him and say, "What, what is it about this that is for me? What does it look like for me to enter in and better understand your suffering, Jesus? I want to understand our union fully. That's what I want for you. It will cost you everything. And here's the deal. Within an hour of you making covenant, there will be opportunity for you to turn your back on it. Angie, are you willing to to lose your reputation for my sake? Yes, God. Yes, God. And within an hour, I received a bribe from the enemy that allowed a territorial spirit to exist here. God wanted us to lose. I only delayed the call. I only delayed stepping into destiny by receiving this money to get ourselves out of a bind. So beware. Be aware of what it is that's going on around you. It was God's plan that we lose everything. And I'm thankful for it. I am. I'm not just saying that. I'm not. I'm not just saying that. This isn't me putting on a happy face. I've already mourned all of it. And that's important but I'm thankful for it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And there's nothing else I want. There's nothing else I want. But in order for us to host the level of holiness that he is coming at us with, we have to be stripped bare to even be able to contain it. And with his holiness comes his glory. But there is, there is a whole people waiting for us to be upright, dripping with myrrh, so they can come and learn how to die. Pepper said this in the comments the other day. Hospice, a spiritual hospice? And I was like, yes, that's what God's talking about is a spiritual hospice. Do you know that the word hospice and hospitality are actually linked? 
No, but we like to play tea party. When we're really called to care for one another to the point of death. It's the expectation. We will never fully live until we have fully died. Are we okay? Is this too much? Okay. I just let me end with this one. Let's go to, to John 17. Oh, you're going to John. Literally. John 17, we're going to start in one. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you even as you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth, finishing the work which you have given me to do. And now, Glorify me along with yourself, Father, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that all that you, gave, you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and knew truly that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I ask concerning them. I do not ask concerning the world, but concerning those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all that is mine is yours, and yours mine, and I have been glorified in them, and I have no longer in the world, yet they are And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are. When I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, except for the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. You can feel the passion in Jesus' prayer that he insists on union. I've given them your name. Do we know what it means to bear the Father's name? And here's why being a house of myrrh is going to be attractive to the world. 
Because God is revealing that we are poor, naked, and blind. He's going to cause people to want to come and buy without cost. That is why he's doing what he's doing. Because the condition of the world is poor, naked, and blind. Will you stand? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the stripping. I thank you for your stripping. I thank you that you are removing everything from us that doesn't belong, that doesn't need to go where we're going. Father, I just thank you that you are making us weightless in this hour. That you would help us count the cost. That we would know what it is that you are asking of us. And that we would partner only with you. And every enemy that is coming up against us, that wants to rob us of counting the cost, I silence you in Jesus' name. You will not get in our way because we are those who are dripping with myrrh. We are those dripping with a fragrant offering that is pleasing to our Father. Jesus, you are all that we want. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you are rebaptizing us in your holiness, in your righteousness, and into your suffering, Jesus. That we would be like you. that we would be able to rightly host a hurting and lost world, aching, aching for the expression of the kingdom of heaven. Father, we just thank you for the invitation to be crowned as kings. And we confess that if we lose everything in this world, we have only gained. We have only gained. Father, deliver us from the systems of this world. Deliver us from the systems of this world. No hold. Jesus, we want to look like you. We want to love like you do. Thank you for your righteousness. And thank you for raising up a new standard. 
And we count it all as joy. We count it all as joy. We count it all as joy. Amen.